salt. They're like huge seed pods. Pod, where two friends discuss pop culture and more. Here are your hosts, Matt Haynes and Jay Norman. Yeah, how did you how did you feel about like how we kind of wrap things up with that series and maybe just the series in general? I enjoyed the series in general. I thought in particular the last episode was pretty quick and wrap things up maybe a little too quickly for me. I know they had their own internal narrative time constraint with getting uh, Hawkeye home for Christmas to his family, but I thought that they, they could have gone deeper uh, into the interactions with Yelena and Hawkeye. I was kind of unclear as to why she was so certain he was lying. You know, I, I don't, I, let me rephrase that. I was just completely unclear on Yelena's motivation. Yeah. Uh, why she was so upset with Jeremy Renner, other than maybe she was lied to by Val, but we weren't told what she was told, other than that one little scene at the end of Black Widow where she just says, do you want to, does she say something like, do you want to kill the person responsible for your sister's death or something? Or Yeah, something along those lines about, you know, do you want to like do something about this? You know, there's yeah. somebody out there that's responsible. You know, I don't remember, you know, the scene specifically either, other than broad strokes but yeah it's that was the gist of it i wanted more there i did enjoy i don't know if we talked about this last time but i think we did uh the interaction between yelena and kate bishop obviously Haley steinfeld and florence Pugh is pretty great (laughs) and i like to see more of that uh in going forward in the future and hopefully they get on the big screen together because as you had mentioned they're probably too big to be con- uh, constrained to the small screen. So I would look forward to that. What were your overarching feelings? When it first started, I, f- I, th- I think I was a little bit more bullish on it at the beginning. And then I ended up being at the, at the end of it. If I had to sum it up, I'd say it was fine. You know, it was yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was enjoyable enough to, you know, have something to look forward to every week for, those six weeks, you know, leading up to Christmas. I feel like the episode length or, you know, the season length ultimately wasn't doing the show any favors with the amount of ground that they were trying to cover. And if anything, I feel like I'm a little confused why they felt they had to cover so much ground in this like quick six episode season to the point that I really thought like that finale, that final episode was just so overly bloated with all these different threads that they were trying to to wrap up, to tie off. And I didn't come away feeling all that satisfied with any of them, really, (laughs) tell you the truth. Just, I'm not mad, you know? I didn't have any great, you know, emotional connection to the show or anything. Like I said, overall, it's fine. It was fun. But... I felt like either, yes, sure, make it six episodes, but cut out some of the bloat within the show. We're trying to cram in like, you know, this 
kind of origin story for Echo, and we're introducing Kingpin, and we've got a whole like subplot about what's going on with the uh, Vera Formiga's character, and you know the the misdirect with her like fiance, and um, and then of course you know you're adding in Florence Pugh. Ultimately, it just it felt like it was too much to try and jam into a six episode series. It probably, if you wanted to do all those things, then it probably justified a longer season, you know, a couple more episodes at least. But I did feel like by the end of this season, those last couple of episodes, they were going a little bit overboard with trying to like cram in all these different other Marvel subplots and directions and set different things up. A lot of it just wasn't landing all that great for me. You know, it builds up to like kind of a kind of, you know, both Renner's character and Florence Pugh's character coming to terms with losing Scarlett Johansson's character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I wanted to like for that to feel the land a little bit better, but I was mainly just like, eh, I don't know. It's, it's the first, I think it coming off of like probably the highlight of this like quartet of like Marvel shows with Loki, right. You know, being the most recent, it suffered for that as well. Cause for me, you know, Loki was such kind of above and beyond, you know, in this like tier above those, like the previous shows, it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Damning it with faint praise. (laughs) You know, but I got to say though, but I think that Renner is a perfectly is a good actor and these, they still suffer from like having like this bad overall, this like kind of lukewarm version of the Hawkeye character. And they're trying to like, it felt, it felt like they're still trying to kind of breathe some life into that at the very end (laughs) of Jeremy's run doing this character. I don't know. I, I, I think that if the purpose of the series was to like give him like a graceful exit or like to like, put that character out to the pat out to pasture. I don't know if it succeeded as well. You know, it didn't provide as much of a satisfying ending there, especially when it's contrasted with like the characters that really kind of stole the show. And you wanted to see more of in Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh, particularly Florence Pugh, who was like, you know, he's got like a total of like, what, like 15 minutes of screen time. And yet the single, the single best scene of that entire series. And it's not close was Florence Pugh and a can of macaroni and cheese. (laughs) So I don't know what that says about the rest of the series. (laughs) Take what you want, I guess. So did you want to to move on to to Boba Fett? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's pivot to Boba Fett. Let's pivot to the book of Boba Fett. Star Wars franchise. We've got, there's so much Marvel content queued up uh, for Disney Plus over the next year that we're going to have to save up our our energy to like deal with all that. So yeah, we're on the second episode right now. What are your overall impressions of those first two episodes? I've enjoyed them. I came away from the first episode feeling, yeah, this is okay. We've got a high level of fan service going on there. I mean, we've got what it is to be inside, you know, the Sarlacc pit. We've got the Boba Fett's escape. Um, (laughs) That was all fun to check out. I wasn't entirely sure where we were going to go at the end of the first episode. It felt, you know, we're telling a little backstory. We're 
showing Boba Fett, Fennec, uh, you know, take, you know, start to take control of Jabba's old hood. And then they get jumped, right? You get ambushed in the, in the street. So I felt like eh, it's a little unclear. Like where, where, where are we going to go here? Right. With episode two, we like quickly pick up where we left off and, but episode two, like felt like way more like a fully formed, like we're telling it a little micro here in this episode. It was a long episode after episode two. Yeah, I feel, I feel a little bit more optimistic about this show moving forward that we've got the beginning of like a kind of a direction um, and like a purpose for this show to exist beyond just, wouldn't it be cool to have more Boba Fett, you know, on, yeah. <laughs> on the screen type of a reason. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel the same way about that first episode. I mean, I, I see the necessity of trying to orient the story, but by the second one, yeah, it really picks up purpose, picks up more meaning, I think. And we have to obviously acknowledge, as everyone else has done on the internet, that Patton Oswalt has predicted the <laughs> reemergence of Boba Fett. You're right. From his Parks and Rec uh, filibuster, which was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, for me, I don't know if we talk about things that we particularly like. One thing I really liked, we've talked about before when it happened in uh, The Mandalorian, is the reframing, reimagining of the Tuscan people, no longer just sand people, no longer Tuscan raiders, right? They're trying to make them fully formed people with a culture misunderstood. And so I really enjoyed uh, that and it's not hard to see the colonial overtones and the um, right and the representation of indigenous culture. My my worry about that though is my is my worry with anything where they uh, I, I get this from. There's a book called Going Native that talks about this right the the white savior notion that yeah you know happens in Dances with Wolves happens in Avatar. You get the outsider character who comes in and gets adopted into the indigenous or native tribe and then becomes more native than the natives. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and I'm worried about that. I, I hope it doesn't start. I mean, I could see little tinges of that, but they, I think they do a fairly good job of steering clear of that. Uh, it might help too because of the actor who's playing Boba Fett that, that helps a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, ho- hopefully they steer clear of that white savior trope. But having said that, it's kind of interesting. I was wondering after that second episode, like, hmm, what, what are, why is Boba Fett wanting to take over this, you know, this planet? What, what's going on? And yeah. actually, after that second episode, seeing him become a member of the Tuscan tribe, it maybe makes me think uh, he's got a motivation there that I can give the Tuscans more say, uh, you know, more power in this world if yeah. I do this, this thing. So, yeah. Hopefully they go kind of do go that direction. Yeah, that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's a big that's a big note that I had like scribbled in my mind after episode one was why mm-hmm. you know why why is he doing any of this? Why does he want to take over Jabba's you know old role, his influence? You know there you know from what we saw of him in. But he was reintroduced in The Mandalorian and then through the flashbacks, there was nothing to like suggest that he's just kind of primed to get back into being a mercenary or he's out there to like find the best option to like for profit. Because again, it's like he's a bounty hunter, right? You know, and he's 
at, or that's who he used to be. That's who he used to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. The mayor so, even calls him that, and the, and he says he he says he's not a yeah. bounty hunter anymore. So right. So yeah. Why you know after that first episode, that's it was a big question. It was like, well, how does this fit? How does this fit this character? Where's his motivation to like to do this thing? It was a cool thing. Like at the you know the end of the mandal his appearance in the Mandalorian to like show him like you know, <laughs> cruising in and taking over, you know, Jabba's palace, but, you know, extending that out, it was like, okay, I, but does it, does it make any sense at all? I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it's Star Wars. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't have to have a really a super grand purpose, but I think you're right. You know, there's so much, there's a lot of subtext going on in that second episode that helps us understand like, okay, maybe we do know Mm-hmm. we're beginning to understand why why it is and that's not just that he wants to take over this crime syndicate in fact he seems like maybe he's he's less of a criminal warlord wannabe than he is a you know a reformer of, mm-hmm. of a sense you know a lot of that that flashback story of like his time with the Tusked raiders you know filling in those gaps of like okay from when we last saw him in Return of the Jedi to when he comes back in Mandalorian, what kind of journey has this character gone on? How did he, how did he make it to that point? Not only was episode two, like a really fully formed, fun, interesting episode, you know, it, it was, it also did a covered a lot of ground, you know, in helping to like set up where we're going to go for the rest of the series. Yeah. Uh, obviously there's some fan service going on in that second episode with not only the twins coming in, but then also the Wookiee bounty hunter. Oh, right. Yeah. The, what is it? Black Crescenton? Is that, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm not. I don't but, know uh, either. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, but yeah, I know that's from, is that, that's from comics, right? That character. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Or extended novels or something. I'm, I don't know. It's all blurry to me, yeah. you know, once we get into that realm, but anytime I see, a character like that that like stands out i immediately think like oh i bet there's yeah there's some kind of backstory here there's something yeah. most of the time i don't know what it is because they are drawing a lot from kind of more obscure novels and comics and extended universe but you know i can at least catch the stuff that you know happened in like the animated series you know the mm-hmm. rebels and the clone wars uh, since right. I've, I've watched all of those pretty recently but but it was fun to watch that train sequence, you know, nice little heist. Like you said that earlier, we talked off mic about co- combining these Western tropes. You know, you have the gunslinger tropes in there. You have the crime boss, uh, you know, kind of mobbish stuff going on. You have the Lawrence of Arabia stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, these are all, I mean, this is right in Robert Rodriguez's, you know, wheelhouse, right? I mean, this yeah. is his kind of comfort zone and it's you know if this is the kind of world and story that you know that favreau wanted to create for boba fett then yeah i mean uh rodriguez makes huge sense throwback old school serial adventure elements yeah it's funny you know going back to what you said earlier about the whole white savior thing i was thinking that i I was thinking that throughout the episode as well (laughs) even the first episode i was like kind of like thinking, oh, this is where we're going to go with that. And yeah, it's treading on definitely some thin ice in that area. But as you say, I mean, having Tamira Morrison play that role. Yeah. Kiwi, who's, 
you know, got some pretty strong Maori mm-hmm. heritage as well, you know, helps kind of like balance it out a bit, lighten yeah. it a little bit, makes you feel a little bit like, you know, that's, that's the real person that yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> we're not talking about the character Boba Fett, who yeah. is just the clone yeah. <laughs> child <laughs> of right. this other guy that I'm sure there's a long and story backstory for Django Fett mm-hmm. <laughs> that I am not aware of. <laughs> you know, I know what we know from the prequel movies and that's it. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how earned that is for Boba um, to take on that role, but that aside, still a fun episode, kind of wonderfully silly <laughs> with the, with the sand brain lizard, you know, jumping into his nose and going on that, yeah. <laughs> going on that spirit quest. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's hilarious. He's so polite about it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, slippery little bugger. I think, yeah. I, I think I swallowed it. Sorry. <laughs> but he's, I mean, Tamara Morrison's a, he's a fun actor and yeah. he's, he's got a, he's got this kind of easy charisma to him that, you know, it's appealing. So, you know, I watch this guy and I, and I, you're rooting for him. I'm trying to think of the, um, the actress who plays the female Tuscan Raider, who's the badass warrior who helps kind of train him. Yeah. Joanna Bennett. Yeah. I don't know if they ever give them Yeah, Tuscan kid, Tuscan chief. You can kind of tell who the chief is, but they never name you know, they don't name the Tuscans individually, which is, a next step, you know, maybe to, to go to expand if they're trying to expand Tuscans further. It might help to give them names. Yeah, or, right. you know, yeah, so let's give them. Yeah, exactly, individual identities. That's maybe a sidestep from that kind of white savior trope too. Is he's getting trained, but he still is never better than that than the Tuscan warrior. You know, yeah. she she always bests him, and at least so far, maybe it'll get to that point, which I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't do that. I also thought as I was watching, especially towards the end of that episode where he goes out on his, you know, after taking the Tatooine's um, version of peyote, you know, and goes out on his little quest and comes back with the branch and they do the whole, he learns the craft, his whatever yeah. it is, his stick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his staff, yeah. His, yeah. You know, again, this is like, this is, these are the types of stories, you know, that are tell over and over again in these, you know, quest stories and shows. But I thought it was also an interesting way to look at it too, was kind of like maybe a parallel to the Mandalorians, you know, where they go and they, they get their, their Beskar armor and then it gets, you know, it gets forged into pieces of armor or helmet or whatnot or whatever. And I thought it was interesting to maybe look at it as like a kind of a connection to that. Cause you know, Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian, but he has his Mandalorian armor, but you know, this is a different way that he's like kind of, you know, gone on the same sort of parallel, you know, journey with like taking something from its raw materials and like forging it into like a personalized weapon or personalized armor or whatever. And I thought it was kind of cool. And, um, and I wonder if that was just part of like part of the, you know, the reasoning for that as well. It's just kind of like you show that he's, you know, well, we know he's not a Mandalorian, but he does like still kind of embrace similar types of similar types of like values and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. I saw someone else point out too, that 
there's some striking resemblances to kind of Jedi culture, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, when the, the rate, uh, some of the Tuscans die, they have the kind of funeral pyre, the burning, which is something that Jedi, well, at least we've seen like Luke do it in the films and finding your own kyber crystal for your, and building your own lightsaber. You, they similar, they get that. Right. So yeah, not that they're, that they have, um, you know, force abilities, Tuscans, but, but it's, you know, it's like the, the religion of the, of the Star Wars universe of the force. It is that energy that binds everyone connects everyone and this is their version of that religion or that connection mm-hmm. yeah yeah i guess you expand that out too it's like the mandalorian and doing that is really kind of just you know following like what we knew of established canon from this like you say jedi culture the mandalorian you know kind of brought that type of process into life on mm-hmm. on the screen maybe around the same time as they touched on some of that in the, I don't know if they touched on any of that on the animated series or not, but I'm sure it was written about, but that's a very common, common and well-established like through line for the Star Wars universe in general. And then it is interesting that they keep coming back to that for like these different cultures. Mm-hmm. They, they show very similar, a lot of similarities. Yeah. You know, I, you know, the show it's, it's got a lot going for it. I think it's, it seems like we're going to be, kind of w- relatively self-contained, you know, locally um, in this world. I mean, with that ship is still out there somewhere, right? We assume that it's still operational. So I guess they could do some off-world adventures, but it does seem like the bulk of it is going to be kind of very focused in a, in a local environment, which is probably good for the scope of the show. Man, I, you know, interesting, you know, Cast, you got Jennifer Beals showing up here. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got Matt Barry, who is like the voice of the the uh, Matt Barry of like what we do in the shadows. Fame is mm-hmm. is the voice of the uh, the droid that they got running up and running in the Jabba's palace. Ming Na Wen, I mean, yeah. fifty eight years young, mm-hmm. looking incredible. I gotta imagine we've got some type of. Fennec Shan, you know, devoted episode in store at some point in the series, maybe, right? Yeah. We don't, know, we don't know a whole lot about her. Yeah. She hasn't, so far, she hasn't been given much to do other than kind of the current fighting work. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit more, you know, a deeper dive into her character. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. 